You are listening to Veterinary Mental Health, Turning the Stethoscope Around, Episode 20, presented by Thoughtful Life Counseling. Welcome to the podcast. I am Taylor Miller, a veterinarian and a licensed professional counseling intern. Mental health and work-life balance are critical issues for veterinary professionals. While not intended as a substitute for individual counseling, this podcast seeks to address many of the mental health concerns common to members of our profession. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we will be talking about stress and burnout, two very important topics, both for our profession as well as for the world as it exists today. So we will dive right in. There's a lot of information to cover. I did want to mention that within this podcast, I do reference material in the Anxiety Podcast as well as the Willpower Podcast. So if you haven't listened to those, it might be helpful to go back. I do try to make this a self-contained podcast, but if you find yourself feeling as though you're missing information, that would be my suggestion. All right, let's get started. As usual, I want to begin with some definitions that we can agree on for these concepts that we will be talking about. Stress is a state of physical or mental tension resulting from factors that tend to alter an existing equilibrium. A change in our homeostasis, so to speak, that means that we have to adjust in order to regain that sense of balance or that sense of equilibrium. And consider that this definition leaves room for both welcome and unwelcome stressors or good and bad stresses, it's more often referred to. And we'll get into that a little bit later. And then burnout is a condition that occurs when, in responding to excessive stresses and demands, an individual demands in return too much of him or herself and eventually becomes overwhelmed, exhausted, apathetic, and negative. I have come up with an analogy that includes flea management to explain some of these concepts and how they're interrelated. Keep in mind that I did at least nine of my clinical years in an area that had a very high flea burden. So flea management was second nature to all the veterinarians in that part of the world. So if you don't have a lot of flea experience, this might not resonate quite as much. But for those who do, hopefully this will help the concepts flow a little bit more smoothly. So with our flea analogy, the stressors or the stimuli that result in stress, those are our fleas. Those are the things that are out there to get us. Stress is a cat with fleas. Sometimes a cat has one or two, sometimes a cat has 20, sometimes a cat has an overwhelming number of fleas, but it's dose dependent. Little stress, a lot of stress, a few fleas, a lot of fleas. And then burnout is when a flea infested cat develops anemia. Beyond having the stressors present, something more has happened, something in addition to the fleas themselves has happened that results from that overwhelming burden of fleas. So, thinking about stress, we have a number of categories of stressors that we need to consider. We have chronic stress, which is stress that never quite goes away. It's always in the background of your mind. And this can include things like world events. Certainly, for many people right now, that is fairly huge. In Oregon, where I live, we recently suffered an enormous series of losses from wildfires so that chronic stress is going to be present for a large number of our Oregonians. Disasters are happening all over the U.S., all over the world. COVID is an ongoing chronic stress. It changes the way we move through our daily lives. Chronic stress can be huge, even if it's not happening in front of you in any given moment. It's there. 
Tension in relationships can also be a huge one, even if you're not having an active argument with somebody, if you are working in proximity with them or living in a home with them, and there's tension in that relationship, it will color everything that you do in that environment. Work culture, we know how important work culture is. So if you have a work culture that doesn't mirror your own values or that you don't feel a part of, that can be a chronic stress. Chronic illness or chronic pain, that can be huge for an individual. Financial strain or concern is also huge and ever-present. And then perfectionism. So certain personality characteristics can add to that sense of stress. If we always need something to be completed perfectly, that's going to be an ongoing stress whenever you're completing any project. Acute stress is a little bit more obvious. So that is the difficult surgery. It's a fender bender. It's spilling coffee down your front. It's running late for a meeting. It's being asked to cover someone's shift. It's an unpleasant exchange with a client. Those periods, you often are more aware of your heart rate increasing, of sweaty palms, of a dry mouth, or other indicators that you're having a physiological response to a stressor. Repeating stressors, we don't carry them in an ever-present way with us, the same as chronic stress, but they happen on a routine enough basis that they're an ever-present factor in our lives. For instance, if we have a nasty commute, that will happen every single day that we work. Even if we don't carry the stress of that commute throughout our day, it is there every day. If you really don't like being part of surgery, whether you're the technician running the anesthesia or recovering, whether you are the veterinarian who is doing the surgery itself, if that is a negative part of every day, that is a consistent source of stress that's repeating, but maybe not chronic. Bedtime with small children. I know this is billed as something that we should be grateful for, but if it's more of a toothpaste hurricane, then it may just be a source of stress every night. Um, staff meetings are often sources of stress for people. Homework with older children, grocery shopping. It doesn't have to be something that from the outside looks stressful. If it is stressful for you, then it is stressful for you. And then we have that category of good or welcome stress. So things that we sign on for, that we give our consent for. Planning or attending a party, family vacations, home improvement projects, making friends or dating. Certainly meeting new people can be very stressful, especially if you have a more introverted personality. Caring for your own pets, even if we love them, that can be a source of stress, especially if you feel that you aren't able to devote the time or energy to your own pets that you give to other people's pets. That can be a source of distress. Same thing with children. Um, we love them very, very, very much, all inclusively, etc. All the things that we're supposed to feel as parents. That doesn't mean having children isn't a huge source of stress in a person's life. So there are lots of things that are good in our lives that do add to our stress burden. And one of the things to recognize with some of our good stressors is that they are not often things that you are allowed to complain about because they're good. Other people congratulate you on them. And unless you have a friend with the same good stressor who is willing to listen and also maybe wants to, to share their struggles, it can be harder to let off steam about the good stressors because... Again, people are congratulating you for them. And just like fleas, any individual stressor is unlikely to have a significant impact on your life or your quality of life beyond the immediate moment that you experience it. But when stress or fleas accumulate, you begin to see consequences. 
indications of excessive stress beyond the mental aspects that we talk about, that sense of feeling stressed. Some of the things that show us physically that stress is getting to us are GI complications, so diarrhea, constipation, a consistently upset stomach, the the gastric ulcer that we that we hear about in association with stress, and weight changes either up or down. Either one can be an indication of stress if there's no other obvious reason for that weight change. Frequent aches and pains, including headaches, forgetfulness, lack of energy, lack of focus, a sense of feeling fuzzy, sleep disturbances and poor sleep quality. So if you are waking up consistently throughout the night, if you have a hard time going to sleep, if you can't stay asleep, or you find yourself waking up early without that ability to return to sleep, and then a stiff neck or a clenched jaw. And the jaw one really hit home when I was accumulating information for this particular podcast, because on a stressful day, I'll get to the end of the day and my jaw will ache. It's like I've been chewing, you know, really hard knot of gum for hours. Check in with your body and see if any of these things sound real for you. And if so, instead of medicating them away, consider perhaps how stress in your life might be contributing to these problems and see whether we can reduce the stress instead of just relying on medication to cover up the problem. Chronic stress is also a risk factor for disease. High blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, obesity depression or anxiety are certainly wrapped up in stress management and in excess stress, skin problems such as acne or eczema, menstrual problems. And then certainly if you have an autoimmune disorder, stress can be a factor in flare-ups. So stress is more than just a, a mental thing that you need to handle. It really does affect the totality of your body. So then what happens when the stress becomes too much? And this is where we start talking about burnout. Again, burnout indicates a state that you enter once your ability to compensate for stress is exhausted. Each person will have a different point at which burnout hits, a different volume and type of stress that will culminate in burnout. Remember our flea-infested cats. If you are a kitten or an old cat with kidney disease, a flea burden is going to hit much harder, much faster, and you'll become anemic much sooner. A cat that is otherwise healthy, seven years old, maybe a robust tom, they can carry a lot of fleas before we start seeing clinical anemia. So your individual burnout point is going to vary throughout your life, vary according to your self-care habits. So it'll be different for everybody. So try not to compare yourself to others when assessing your own level of stress and your own potential for burnout or state of burnout as we speak. Risk factors that will tend to make you more vulnerable to burnout include pre-existing mental health challenges, so anxiety, depression, OCD, that tendency towards perfectionism that I mentioned previously, and caretaking roles. So if you are in a business of taking care of others, for example, veterinary professionals, all of us, then you will tend towards burnout sooner than people who don't necessarily fill that role. And also consider that if you are a caretaker at work, so your veterinary professional role, and a caretaker at home, either to a spouse who has additional needs, to children, to parents or relatives that are relying on you. If you are a caretaker in multiple roles, 
you will be even more at risk for burnout if you don't take care of yourself. Protective factors, things that make us more resistant to burnout, include good self-care, stress management, positive coping strategies, and support. So all of these things will help prevent burnout and help increase the stress load that you are able to successfully handle. So these are a lot of the things I like to talk about, the self-care elements, the stress management elements, etc., and that I will continue to talk about because they are so important. Assuming you are not driving, I want you to visualize a normal bell curve. It slopes up, crests, then slopes down the other side. On the x-axis, we have stress, and our y-axis shows our investment of our energy, focus, and resources in counteracting stress. So as we ride up the slope of the bell curve, the more stress we are under, so the farther up the x-axis we go, the more we invest our energy, our focus, and our resources on the y-axis in an attempt to manage that stress. And if we're successful, we either stall out or we slide back down to baseline. As the stress accumulates, however, and we max out our ability to invest, we reach the top of that bell curve, which is a state of overwhelm. After that, if stress continues to pile on, we can't give anything else. We are out of resources. So we stop giving and we become apathetic, exhausted, negative. We are burned out and we slide down the other side of that bell curve. So when you're trying to think about where you are in terms of how much I'm investing and whether it's successful or not, whether I'm on the coping side of the bell curve or the burnout side of the bell curve, try to keep in mind that there is a maximum that each of us has to give. And when we reach that state of overwhelm, we need to seriously evaluate what our next step is, whether it is doubling down on self-care and trying to remove stress in our life so we can slide back down the coping slope or whether we spend our remaining reserves trying to find more of ourselves to give, in which case we are likely to tumble down the burnout side of the curve. In the handout today, I'll have a visual aid for that burnout diagram. Okay, so we have talked about stressors, about our fleas. We've talked about what it feels like to be that flea-infested cat and even our flea-anemic cat. So how do we treat fleas in our life? How do we manage stress? And a lot of what I'm going to mention today will sound familiar as there are a lot of similarities between stress management and anxiety management. For reference, we covered anxiety in episode 16 of this podcast. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I recommend going back to it as it pairs well with this episode. If we think about our flea analogy, we have two ways to approach flea control, and both are important. So we have our self-care, which is the equivalent of our flea preventives. So this is what we put on the cat to actually eliminate the fleas on the cat, or in my analogy, reduce the ability of stressors to impact you. So you build your resilience by applying this flea control or your stress control. And there are two levels to that. So the first is very, very basic defense. If you are stressed, these are things that you can do in the moment to help reduce your physiologic response to stress, to lower the stress level in your body. And those include movement. So not necessarily all out exercise, but moving your body at least five minutes to get that blood flow back up to the parts of your brain that will help you rationally make progress on your difficulties. 
making sure that you are getting good sleep, because as we know, sleep deprivation can impair cognition, memory, and willpower, and you need all of those things to mount a successful response to the stressors in your life. Breathing, that deep diaphragmatic breathing that we described in our anxiety podcast, and also lowering your respiratory rate to between 4 and 10 breaths per minute. In moments of acute stress, this helps to activate your prefrontal cortex, again, which allows for better decision-making cognition. It also lowers your sense of threat, which can be a big component of a stress response. And then regular practice of slow breathing can also lower your baseline set point for your experience of stress. So it can help you stay calmer more consistently and become more resistant to the effects of stress. Getting yourself out into the natural world can help you stabilize your circadian rhythm. And with constant exposure, you can also see a change in your heart rate variability, which if we can remember back to the willpower episode is a measure of self-control. So you are able to become more self-regulated with a consistent exposure to the natural world, with your breathing, with movement, and with improved sleep. Mindfulness obviously is a tool that fits in very well for our stress management, both because mindfulness incorporates that non-judgmental piece, that loving kindness and self-compassion element that can be really difficult to accept if you feel as though you are failing at stress management. We are often perfectionist type A's in this field, and if we don't feel we are successful at something, our response is often to beat ourselves up about it rather than to offer ourselves that compassion that that really we are due. And then after we manage this segment, this immediate physiological response to stress segment, looking at time management perfectionism, prioritizing goals and values. So looking at our life to see how we can restructure our life or refocus ourselves within our life to decrease stress can be important. And back to our flea analogy, if we're thinking about fleas, we have our topicals or our flea preventives, and then we have environmental control. And from a stress management standpoint, environmental control means managing your relationships. So if you are consistently stressed by dysfunctional relationships or by relationships that aren't well-defined or by work culture situations, having discussions with the people who can help you manage those relationships, manage that work culture such that your stressors are reduced, such that you reduce the flea burden in the environment, that can be a huge help evaluating your self-advocacy skills, your boundary defenses, and the art of saying no. All of these can help as well by reducing the number of stressors in your environment. And if these are not your strongest skills, we will be covering them in future podcasts, so stay tuned. And the final thing I want to talk about are the self-care placebos that we can sometimes fall into, things that feel like self-care, that look like self-care, but don't tend to give us the stress relief that we need to reduce our overall stress burden. So this is the Dove dish soap in our flea analogy. Yes, it might remove the fleas that are currently on you, but if the only thing you do for flea management is Dove dish soap, the second that cat's out of the bath, new fleas are jumping on, they're going to accumulate just as quickly... The environmental flea burden hasn't changed in a matter of minutes to hours, depending on the stressors in the environment, you'll be right back where you started. Some examples here are substance use, alcohol, and caffeine. We can't forget caffeine. 
Screen time, which includes social media scrolling on our phones, television and video games, gambling and online shopping can also be included in this category. Essentially, self-care placebos are activities or habits that take you out of yourself as a way to distract you from your stress, but they don't actually alleviate stress. One way to test whether an activity is serving as a placebo is to examine how you feel after devoting an hour exclusively to that activity. If your thoughts run along the lines of, why did I do that to myself? Or, I can't believe I spent an entire hour on that. Or even, that's time I can't get back. You are probably looking at a placebo. Compare this to activities that truly impact stress, movement, sleep, mindfulness, outdoor time, and more often than not, your thoughts after investing an hour sound more like, I wish I could do that more often, or I needed that which is how I tend to feel after yoga. Why don't I do this more often? I feel so fabulous after yoga, but there's something about having to change, having to find the space, the time, the quiet, having to pull it up on my YouTube, having to get settled into yoga that feels just like an enormous inconvenience. And it's so much easier to pull my phone out of my pocket and scan through Facebook. But if I spend half an hour on Facebook, I'll pull myself out of it and typically feel guilty about all the things I could have worked on instead. But after half an hour of yoga, my body feels good, I feel good, I'm relaxed, everything is golden. So try to use the self-tests for yourself. What's actually helping you? What's just distracting you? Because certainly in those moments while I was on Facebook, I wasn't feeling stressed. But that's because I was distracted from my stress. I wasn't actively reducing my stress. So be critical about the things you spend time on in an effort to reduce your stress and make sure they're actually working for you. And that is all of the time we have for today. So thank you for joining me. At this point, I'm going to give up all pretense of being able to stick to a schedule and say only that you will receive a new podcast every seven to 10 days. If I'm going to take a longer break for some reason, anything over 14 days, say, then I'll give you a heads up. Otherwise, we are just going to have that surprise moment. When is it going to show up? I don't know. You don't know. None of us know. But there will always be a pending podcast. I just am not able to stick to a schedule, so I'm not going to pretend anymore. (laughs) Have a wonderful week. This has been a mental health moment brought to you by Thoughtful Life Counseling. If you found today's episode helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and consider leaving me a review. You can download the handout mentioned in today's episode by visiting my website at thoughtfullifecounseling.com. To have the handouts delivered by email, please sign up to receive my twice-monthly newsletter. If you have topic requests, questions, or comments, please contact me through my website or any one of my social media platforms. Take care of yourself and tune in next time for Mental Health and the Negativity Bias.